0: After Hurricane Katrina, I felt that I needed to go to New Orleans and do some humanitarian work and experience a slice of the culture there. Within a few days of arriving, I connected to some of the biggest names in the music scene and even found myself having a beer on the front porch of Fats Domino's house with him. But it wasn't until I met Ronald Lewis that I experienced an authentic New Orleans icon. He had a fantastic connection with the community and family, which he shared with me and helped me understand the region's culture.
1: Today, now come here, come here. Now the, uh Tiffany. Yeah. That's our other sister. That's my that's my niece, Diamond. Oh. Yeah. It, yeah. That that I that's uh that's uh, her, one of my sisters. You know. Now actually, when we talk about the family, like, she my niece, yeah. but she my daughter too. Oh. Cause you know yeah. it was like her she got another brother did about 10 months apart mm-hmm. they were like i basically helped raise them too yeah. so our relationship is more than just our uncle and niece yeah. and nephew relationship you yeah. know yeah you know because mm-hmm. yeah, you know, i'd be involved with them in every aspect yeah. you know i didn't walk down the aisle and you know oh, you name nice. it yeah we done, done it you know yeah and, well, I- are the people who, yeah, who they, you have they, talked to.
2: People. Yeah, a lot of people I've been working with are yeah. more in like the music and the yeah, jazz and stuff like that. Right, and, so. and that's
1: just the musical part of our culture. Yeah. But I'm in, in the other part of the culture that, that keep that life going. You see, here in New Orleans, our culture activity is a marriage between the music and the people. You know, mm-hmm. here in New Orleans, you could have a, a, a baby shower and you're gonna have a brass man. Yeah. You could have a little child making a birthday, one year birthday for it, and they're gonna have music. Yeah, and you're saying well, even at
2: even funerals too,
1: they have. Yes, funerals. you know, yeah. and even in debt here, yeah. we celebrate that person life. It's, I think that is so wonderful. Mm-hmm. But but when, when when you look at countries mm-hmm. away from here, like in Africa, and those places, mm-hmm. they do these things. Yeah, you know they this they, they have a celebration right. of people of people lives and things. So, by New Orleans being one of the true most African cities in the United States, mm-hmm. you know we remember of a lot of our ancestral past.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you know, you understand New Orleans was the major slave trade city. It, it was a port, major port city as it is th- as of today mm-hmm. and things. So, you know, all that influence that came through the Middle Passage mm-hmm. from the coast of Africa through the Caribbean and, and the Latin America to the shores of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And that's where people come and find all this rich influence. Yeah, The food, our way of life, yeah. our way of thinking, you know, the has been amazing
2: so, yes. so far, I mean, I haven't had
1: a bad meal, so. Well, you know, you got, like I said, all was a major port. Yeah. so everything that came true the major ports mm-hmm. ended up here in the It's North. kind
2: of like a mixture between like maybe Spanish and um, African Well, food.
1: let me explain that Afghans were dropped off in every country Coming through the Caribbean, mm-hmm. right? Which they they had a culture, mm-hmm. and when they were dropped off on these various islands and things, and then things got like cross culture. Yeah, and you that's where you see a lot of the influence of Latin and African type food because of the slave trade. It's the slave trade. Yes. Yeah. So it's. I mean, the
2: history in this city, from what I can tell, is like some of the oldest in the country. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's just right here, everywhere, at your fingertips. Yeah. Now, which is, in my opinion, I mean, the, the best way to to experience life and to grow and to learn and share things is, is through your history. Yeah. Through your own history. Yeah. And so, that's one of the things that brought me down here, mm-hmm. was just...
1: Yeah, the history of New Orleans. Yeah so. and see that's what people didn't understand after Katrina. They, they were wondering why we, we were uh, saying we want to get back home.
2: Yeah.
1: We want to get back to New Orleans because mm-hmm. people around the country don't understand us. They don't understand our social way of life when when you walk by somebody you speak to them. Yeah. You know, and, and we lost that when, when a lot of our people evacuated because they didn't feel that same wantonness. Because right. when they spoke to someone, then that person would look at them like they committed a crime or they violated their space.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, and that's the type of wantonness that we have here. Yes, we do have a very social problem, you know, with, with murder rate mm-hmm. and those sort of things. But that's uh, a festive of things that generated before Katrina. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, when, when when you keep people at a low poverty rate, mm-hmm. and, and keep a stranglehold on them economically, right? They're, they're gonna take a lot of the the more viable ways out yeah. in order to improve mm-hmm. that way of life.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then you throw a catastrophe on top of that, right. and you got a war zone.
1: Because a lot, a lot of the murders that done happened in this city happened behind kids who left their families in those other places, mm-hmm. you know, and came back to New Orleans, sleeping in the abandoned houses, sleeping in the cars that they bought, yeah. and all of that, mm-hmm. and and fending for their way of life, just like if they was in the old frontier. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that isn't very interesting. because from an outside perspective, yeah. myself, that's that's the way I see it. as yeah. well. It's, it's like you know it's 2007, but it's like
1: this is so. Like, so when this city got decimated the way that it did, right? Then a lot of people can't pioneers. Mm-hmm. of the rebuilding process. Yeah. So. I, when I came back and restate my claim to 1317 Tupelo, but just like in the in the Wild West, when they used to do the wagon trains and find a piece of land, the homestead, and they drove that stick in the ground, you know, and claimed that's stake amazing. to that land. Yeah. So that's what then happened to in 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 this city. Uh some people it's ashamed to talk about it. Yeah and thing, but I'm not.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. I want the message to go out there that the majority of us here in this city is civilized people, mm-hmm. is law-abiding people. And all the only thing we want to do is rebuild our life right. and our community. That's all we're we asking for. Mm-hmm. You know, we we you know well, we don't want every time we look around go look down on somebody else, be no child.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think,
2: you know, too. Um, in general human nature is very good, you know, for the most part. Yeah. And then, you know, you have a little bit of a problem with the crime, but I think that's um, kind of uh,
1: overshadowing yeah. all the good stuff, the right. stuff that's going on down here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have let, let me show problems. you something. You see a lot of media, right? Yeah. Uh stuff. And they show how the rebuilding of the city guard in mm-hmm. the more prominent neighborhoods. Yeah. And thing they only talk about the devastation in the Lower Night Wall. Right. But they don't talk about us pioneers down here. Yeah. Who's, you know, fighting every day.
2: Yeah.
1: In the process of rebuilding this community. Yeah. You know, they they, they, yeah. they don't want to show that. They yeah, don't I want to show how, you know, things I oh, yeah. tell you what thank God for Steve Steve Insky from NPR who did several shows with me. Mm-hmm. And Dan Baum from the New Yorker who wrote that article. Yeah. Right there in uh, August of O six and thing. I'm very thankful for those people and some of the others yeah. that seen what I was doing and they seen it as a good story. But they didn't realize how big this was gonna really be.
2: Yeah, I mean the thing about the media in this country is that it's really, really negative. They yeah. focus on only the negative things for the most part. Mm. And then you have a few like NPR and yeah. New Yorker that actually can bring people like you to the table. Yeah. And and myself, I'm actually not a member of
1: the media. Right.
2: I'm taking a kind of a different route okay. to, to bring this uh, information out to people. Um, uh, which I think actually has been has been working for me for okay. you know, my, my way of telling stories and my people. Know. So um, yeah, so that's good. That's good. That's interesting. Uh, the pioneer idea.
1: Yeah.
2: I really thought about it. Thought about it. So right. It's 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 actually very. It must be very scary to become like, it's like a pioneer because there's a lot of no. questions
1: and stuff. No. You know. When, when you grow up in an urban city, right, mm-hmm. and it's a certain amount of chaos that swirls around all the time. Mm-hmm. So, this re- really, the, the, the rebuilding thing was a little more calmer than the everyday life of folk mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And because your, your focus was on your own what you had to get done. You know, and yeah. you tuned out, everything else that's going on around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, so um, let's talk about, a little
1: bit about the museum. Well, originally I had a building on this site called the House of Dancing Fellas. And I started it when I retired in 2003. And in uh, two, 2005, I had the building registered at, with the state as a nonprofit. And then Katrina came. So after Katrina, as I got all this exposure, I spoke at a conference called the the Reinhardt New Orleans Conference at Laola University here in the city of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And through a friend of mine named Dan Etridge who chaired this conference and Dr. Helen Regis, who's a cultural anthropologist at LSU and Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. who, who co-chaired the conference, they invited me there to speak. And when I spoke at this conference, which was made up of city planners and the who's who of the architecture world stuff, yeah. I told them that I had a home that was paid for. I wanted to come back home and rebuild and help be a flagship in the rebuilding process of my community. Mm-hmm. And this same fellow who's on this picture back here behind me, Patrick Rowe, who was an architect at Kansas State University professor, uh, heard my call. So he held a summit at the University of Arkansas and made contact with me. and said, well, Mr. Lewis, we're gonna help you. And that group of students that you see sitting behind me at the bottom, mm-hmm. uh, stepped up to the plate from Kansas State University and some from other parts of the country and helped me got it done. Wow, that's they spent the entire summer of 06 mm-hmm. here working on the House of Dance and Feathers and assisting me. -hmm. With the work on my house, and we bonded from there, Mm -hmm. and from bonding from there, uh, we, uh, you know, we became more than just partners in the project. We we developed that family type of atmosphere on the site. Mm -hmm. You know, there were young people fresh out who were still in college, and some that were fresh out of college, and I was able to. uh, Communicate with them. Yeah. Cause I have children that's 29 and 35 years old. Mm-hmm. So I was able to sit down with these young people, talk with them on a daily basis, nudge them on
2: mm-hmm.
1: and thing. And uh, as a family, we got it done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful.
2: Yeah. Now we just need to do the rest of the neighborhood. <laughs> how, you, how do
1: you well, figure that well, so. I have a term that I call Call one house and one family at a time, at a time. Yeah. and we'll be back. Because mm-hmm. the people who left the city knew all the left in the exodus. Yeah, but they couldn't come back the same way because the city wasn't the same way. Right. So now they have a trickle effect come into the city, mm-hmm. and you know, after schools gradually reopen, and the stores are open popping up across the city, mm-hmm. the people have some of the general services that they need. To come back and exist in this city. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like this summer the news has been saying there's a lot of people are starting to come back yeah. now.
1: So Well, see, they didn't got over the Katrina shop.
2: Yeah.
1: Now they want to come back home.
2: Yeah.
1: Now they're making no decisions um, on by whatever means necessary to get back home. Right. And that's what's bringing them back home. Yeah. Cuz I mean, once you have a home,
2: even if, the, yeah. even if the walls are gone, right, still have a home.
1: Yeah. You know? And though, you know, some rental housing is opening up and things, and people are sacrificing whatever way they can to get back here. You know, they, they, they're willing to pay astronomical fees for rent, for really money that they don't have, yeah. but just want to get back in this city yeah. and be able to figure out a way from there.
0: Hey, you've reached the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. I would love to have you sign up to my mailing list. I will be publishing all kinds of really interesting content, including future episodes of this podcast. I'd really love for you all to survive a day on a film set. That's why I created 11 Steps on How to Survive on a Film Set. And you can get it for free in your inbox when you sign up. So go right ahead, sign up, let your friends know, people who love films, making films. It's for all of you. So thanks again for listening in, and I'll see you next week on The Director's Viewfinder.